Um, this morning, I want to just share with you a message <clears throat> out of first, Second Corinthians. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I am going at this message without the benefit today of a title. I just could not peg a title on this particular message. Um, and I, I hate when that happens. It, it's, you, don't, you don't realize, uh, preachers can have OCD too, and I am somewhat OCD that all my sermons have to have titles. And so the title of this one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. So there you go. <laughs> um, as I was reading this, this passage of scripture, and I've read it many times throughout my life, throughout my ministry, and you know, just over the years, I can honestly say I don't believe I have ever preached out of this particular text. I've referred to it. We often refer to verses 8, 9, and 10, and sometimes I, I might have made reference to that in a message in the past. But just by way of background information, when you get into 2 Corinthians, especially really essentially the last, uh, the three out of the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul is spending the vast majority of his time defending his ministry. You would think, wait a minute, this is Paul the Apostle. You know, he's one of those guys who performs signs, wonders, miracles. Paul was, and, and Paul actually goes through a number of things, not that he accomplished, but that he went through in chapter 11. And I'm not going to take the time to read all of that. But you can read toward the end of chapter 11 how he is stacking up to and boasting. As he starts boasting, he says, first of all, I want you to understand, with boasting, the idea behind it is it's foolishness. He goes, so just bear with me in my foolishness. Now, I remember reading this in the King James years ago and thinking, Lord, I have no clue what he's saying. I'm grateful for modern English, aren't you? Modern English translations. And, and it kind of puts it a little bit better so that we understand where it's coming from. But ultimately, I love how the NIV puts this. And it points out the fact that Paul is actually coming against those who opposed his ministry in favor of false teachers who branded themselves as, as the NIV says it, super apostles. In fact, it's literally translated that way out of the Greek. In the Greek, if you were to read it, it would be essentially super or extra special apostles. And so they branded themselves that way, and then they were teaching some things that were opposite of what Paul had delivered to them in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they were teaching things that were contrary to what Paul had learned by revelation. And Paul had learned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and throughout his training, even as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew, before Jesus, he was a Pharisee, and he says it in other places in the New Testament, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was trained to be uh, of the strictest sect, uh, one of the strictest sects within uh, within Judaism. And so Paul is, he's defending his ministry as an apostle. And he's doing so by, as it were, boasting. Though we're going to pick up and start reading in chapter 12. We don't have time to get into all of the others. 
But I want to just start reading at verse 1 of chapter 12. And he says this. He says, I must go on boasting. Now listen to what he says about that. Although there is nothing to be gained. Think about that for a minute. The, the whole con- you got to read these chapters and read it through in a good modern English translation because it will help us to understand. Yes, I know the world says you go on a job interview, you better sell yourself. And you do. You need to. But the bottom line is, is Paul says, out of all the things that he's been through, he's experienced, he says, I'm going to go on boasting, though I have nothing to be, there, there's nothing to be gained by doing this. There's absolutely nothing. Now listen, he says, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord, something that these guys could not boast about, in fact. This is where he essentially is really going to leave them in the dust. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Let me stop right here and just give you a little idea of what Paul is saying. Some people have said, well, Paul knows somebody who's had this experience. This is actually Paul referring to himself at this point more in the third person than in the first person. He is boasting about this experience to them, not because he wants to. In fact, it seems as though we read the New Testament, Paul has never mentioned this experience to any other church, and he essentially breaks a 14-year silence on this thing. Now, you read further down, in this chapter, and he said, you know what? Y'all drove me to this. I mean, he's, he's really going at it with the Corinthian church because they have bought into a lie, and he's got to bring them back around as a spiritual father, as somebody who, who invested and has spent. And he says in chapter 13, I'm willing to spend and be spent for your souls. So he, he points out this experience that he had, though he does it in the third person. Some think it was somebody else. No, it wasn't anybody else. And we know that simply by what comes after this that we'll get into in just a moment. But he says this, I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I I first read that, and you ever hear of non-disclosure agreements? You know, you you can't disclose what's in that agreement. Sometimes they have that in court in civil suits and settlements in civil suits. And they say, we, we're, we're going to settle, but we cannot disclose what the, what the final result of this agreement was. It is a non-disclosure. And you might have to sign it saying, I will never reveal the secret. This is something that Paul experienced. And it's almost as if God has said, you do not tell some of these things. Whatever experience he had, and he states it, twice. He says, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He said, I don't know if I saw this by vision or if at one of those times where he was literally stoned nearly to death, that there was a moment in which his spirit departed from him and he saw paradise and God said, nope, not yet. Go back. And, and that's where they, 
They picked him up. Paul dusts himself off and goes on. We don't really know what the situation exactly was. We just know that Paul had this amazing experience in all of this. But remember, he said in verse 1, I'm going to go on boasting, but there's nothing to be gained. You would think, you know, Paul is sitting here. He's talking about all these amazing things. I mean, we'd be building a shrine for this guy if it were today. We'd be giving him a television spot on every team. I mean, to think about it, of what it is that he is he has experienced. I mean, he would have had a spot on TBN and all the Christian broadcasting networks. Everybody would be after Paul. Let's hear what you heard, Paul. Paul says there's no point in that. And here's why. Let's go on. He says this. In verse 5, he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Now, he's, he, again, the man like that is still him, but he is taking this approach of saying, here's what I'm going to boast about, except about my weaknesses. You see, Paul has never talked about those incredible, powerful, spiritual experiences that he had 14 years prior. Not once. Not once did Paul walk into a town and say, y'all got to hear what I heard. Y'all have to hear about what I saw. Y'all have to hear about this. This is an amazing thing. And everybody would sit there on edge about what it is. No, Paul says, here's what I'd rather boast about. I'd rather boast about my weaknesses. And he's, we're going to learn why in just a moment. I want to boast about that. If there is any boasting to be done, if there is any taking pride in any situation, it is this. Now he goes on in verse 6. He says this. Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Paul says, if I were actually going to do this and I were going to boast and I were going to take that approach, he says, I wouldn't actually be a fool because these things happen to me. But that's not what it's about. So often we get into our spiritual experiences. And I realize I'm kind of taking this verse by verse. Just leave the verses up there until we move on to the next. It's all good. Sometimes we get into our spiritual experiences and we can't wait to tell somebody what we experienced in the presence of God. I want to tell you that sometimes it might be that you've experienced something that is just for you. Somebody else might hear that particular thing and think, man, I wish I could experience that. And yet they don't. And then they wonder, am I less of a Christian? Are they more of a Christian? Does God love them more than me? Folks, it can't be about that. It can't be about uh, 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 this moment, uh, a moment that we have in the presence of the Lord. That might just be between you and God alone. It might be something that he just wants to work in your heart and, and use in your life in such a way that will help you to, to, to press on in him. Maybe in that moment you needed that experience and somebody else might look at say, well, now I need that too. But in the end, what they need is what happens between them and God, not what happened between you and God. So we have to be unbelievably careful about experiences that we share 
that, you know, we experience this amazing time of prayer, wonderful. You know, social media is one of those avenues that all of a sudden has become, you know, it's become this let me compare myself with the rest of the world kind of thing. And you look and you're like, everybody else is happy. Look at that person. Wow, they experienced that amazing thing in prayer. And look, they posted it all over Facebook, and everyone on Facebook knows. And I didn't have that. I don't, I'm not so sure that it's for us to be posting all of that. I'm not so sure that it's for us to be sharing this. And in fact, Paul is, is literally, when you think about it, he's breaking a 14-year silence. Not to boast about it, but essentially to say to them, Will you stop listening to these morons who are preaching false teaching and they are coming at you saying that they're some kind of super apostle? Guess what? They're not. But that's not the whole point. The whole point is not to elevate an individual. I spoke about this a little while ago that sometimes, I don't even remember when, but sometimes we elevate individuals and individual pastors. Was it last week? I don't, I don't remember. But we elevate individuals. And we put them on a pedestal and all of a sudden they come falling and tumbling down and then our faith gets shaken. Oh my goodness. If that happened to them, what in the world is going to happen to me? We get our eyes off what is most important rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We elevate people to the point where if they disappoint us, we're about ready to go to hell. Or at least send them there. Shame on us. We got to be looking at Jesus. Trust me, Paul's going to get there. Let's, we'll get there with him in just a moment. But listen to what he says. The rest of verse 6, I love this. He says this, but I refrain. Refrain from what? From boasting. And speaking about those things, even though he had to and just in this moment. So no one will think more of me then is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. So now we know that Paul is not talking about somebody else who had the experience. He's actually talking about himself. These revelations that he has had happened to him. Go back to verse 6. Put verse 6 right back up on the screen for a moment. He says this. I refrain. Here's why. Paul said, I don't want you to be essentially looking at me. He says, I don't want you to think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. He says, I don't want you to think higher of me than you ought to. I don't want you to put me on a pedestal. I don't want you to think, and, and even with what I do and say, and even these revelations that I have had, I don't want you to think more of me because of it. That, would, that really kind of flies in the face of what we often see on Christian television today. If you watch Christian television or if you watch Christian YouTube now, I mean, it's, it's all over YouTube. You can find any preacher you want, and I've been fed by many of them. But sometimes you, you see that eventually somewhere along the way, there's some braggart who has had some amazing experience in the presence of the Lord, and he can't wait to tell you about it so that he can be looked at or she. Paul is saying, I don't want you to think more of me than is warranted. What an amazing, amazing, modest approach in, to take in our lives. <laughs> I, 
I think, uh, and, and getting back to the, my little social media uh, soapbox, I'll get over here and get on the soapbox. My little so, social media mo- soapboxes. We all, you know, we post the, the nice photos. Trust me, I, I don't want to see the photo of you, you know, waking up in the morning. Nobody needs to see that, right? And, 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 and the posts about how horrible you think your day is. I mean, so, there's just... For me, I, I don't post a lot. It's, it's about my kids. I put them out there so my family, wherever they are scattered throughout the world, they can see pretty much it. I'm not a re-poster. I don't post your post. I, I Don't ask me to do it. Not interested. Don't tell me to post something. And if I don't, then somehow I don't agree with something. Not going there. I don't buy it. I don't bite it. I refuse. I won't do it. Post about the kids, but sometimes, you know, and, and sometimes there's just way too much information about how bad things are, you know? And every now and then we kind of go into that mode and, and we sort of think, well, how poor me, poor me. Look, if you've got a poor me situation in your life, why don't you do, we're going to get to this in just a moment, we're going to do, we need to be encouraged to do what Paul is going to do in a moment, all right? And that was not to write a letter about it, even though he mentions it in his letter. He does something first. Verse 7. Let's get back to verse 7. Verse 7, and because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Think about this for a second. He says, in order for me to keep from becoming, or in order to keep me from becoming conceited, there is a purpose in this. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The thorn in the flesh discussion has gone on ad nauseum for centuries. What was it? The long and the short of it is, who cares? I'm just going to put, theologically speaking, it doesn't matter. And in fact, if we knew what it was, it might be difficult for some and better for others. So the thorn in the flesh is essentially a blanket kind of thing that you can apply to whatever thorn in the flesh you have. First of all, let me talk to you about the thorn. I know what thorns feel like. They hurt. So growing up in Maine, I mean, you, and it wasn't because of roses all over the place. It was, you know, you walking through the woods and you get into a pretty thick, you know, some thick brush in the, in the woods and realized after you got into it, it was literally just a thorn bush, like thorns. I don't know how or why. I, I don't understand. There are some things I don't understand. Why? Why thorns, Lord? <laughs> Why bed bugs? I, I don't know. <laughs> so pest control companies can make money. I don't, so why all of these things? Why some of these nuisance things? Why? Why thorns? But every now and then, we don't know why the thorn affects us. But the bottom line is with a thorn, it hurts. And if you continue poking with the thorn, it's going to still hurt. It doesn't cease hurting. You don't get used to it. Paul didn't get used to it. We're going to read that in a second. 
it's going to hurt. So the thorn in the flesh, and Paul says, it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. But Paul says, the first part we just read, remember, you say, well, that's of the devil. We shouldn't experience it. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying this thing was straight from the pit of hell. No, it seems as though this thing was straight from the throne room of glory. To come to him, to keep him from becoming conceited. This is so vital for us. Every now and then, God allows a thorn in your life to keep you humble before him. Listen, God opposes the proud, but he is close to those who are humble of heart. You need to know that he will be with you in your humility, but he will be dreadfully against you in your pride. So somewhere along the way, if you say, oh, I want to be like Jesus, we sing that little chorus from time to time, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. If you are going to be like him, even our Savior felt a crown of thorns on his head. He knew how that felt. And it seems as though, as far as we know, they didn't remove it from his head all the while he was dying on the cross. Thorns hurt. They're painful. Nobody wants them. Nobody likes them. But remember this. They are useful. Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter 8, he tells us these words. He tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's move on in this. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Leave it right there. First thing that Paul does when things are going poorly and things are going badly, he runs to the Lord. He goes to the Lord in prayer. He doesn't call up Silas and say, Silas, you got it, man, you you have any idea what I'm going through right now? Silas, can you just post this on Twitter for me? I don't have a phone yet. I'm kind of older. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what to do. He doesn't do any of that. He runs to the Lord. Now, think about this in the timing of it, because Paul is writing from hindsight, as they say, hindsight's 2020. You you know some things now that you didn't know then. So he is saying and he's relaying to us what he did not know then. He is praying that the Lord will take this thing away from him. All the while, what God is trying to do is accomplish something in him and give him a revelation of something about his weakness. Paul, at the time that he's experiencing this, he did not know now or then what he knows now. When he's penning this, now he's got the full story. Now he understands what God is trying to accomplish. We all go through life that way. Paul was no exception, even though he was an apostle and saw some incredibly powerful and awesome and wonderful things. Remember in the book of Acts, the Acts Luke is writing, and he's saying that as we went on some of these trips, there were times when we even despaired of life. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Paul the apostle and, and his crew, all of these guys preaching the gospel, going to places. He said, we despaired even of life. 
What an amazing thing. God didn't reveal everything to Paul, and he's not going to reveal everything to you. So there are times that we go through life, and in the moment, you're saying, God, get rid of this thing now. I can't stand this thorn. It hurts. Take it out. Remove it. And there is relief when the thorn, you know, it comes out. There's relief. But it stays. It's painful. Lord, get rid of it. Lord, get rid of it. And God is going to say no to him in the nicest of ways. The Lord, he's praying, and it seems he's praying to Jesus. And he says this. He says, I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. He says, three times I plead with the Lord to take it away, but... No, no, no buts on this, please. Take it away, just take it away. But he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient. You say, where's the deliverance in this? Where is the deliverance? You see, sometimes deliverance doesn't come in the form of you being taken out of your problem. Sometimes deliverance comes in the form of abundant grace coming to your life, that favor from God, that grace of God that sustains you and helps you walk through that trouble. Think of how the three Hebrew boys were delivered from the fiery furnace. They had to go in it. We would say, no, Lord, that's not faith. Oh, no, I'm not believing for that. (laughs) No, no, they had to go into it. And then God brought them through it and out of it. Somewhere along the way, what we need most is we need grace to get us through that situation. And he says, I want to give you grace like you have never known before. The Bible, and and we're not talking about sin here, but but Paul says it in Romans, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Well, I want to tell you that no matter what you're going through, whatever problem or difficulty, you're praying for God to remove you out of or take you out of. He says, I've got more grace to get you through that difficulty and get you through that problem. I've got so much grace, so much unmerited favor that you're going to come through this thing greater than what you have ever, ever experienced in your life. My grace is sufficient. We know that word sufficient meaning simply enough. It's enough for you. Taking you out of this or removing that thorn may not carry the same kind of benefit to you as what keeping it there and you trusting in me will. You see, you don't know what kind of faith you can have until you are in that situation. Until you're in that negative, what seems to be a negative moment in your life, you don't know that you will trust. We somehow sit in church and we say amen and we nod our heads to a, to a yes, I'm going to have faith, and yet we're not in the situation. But when you're in the situation, that's when you have to nod your head and say, yes, Lord, I have faith. I trust in your grace. I trust in you, oh God. 
And he says this, he goes on and he says, here's another benefit to all of this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's the awesome thing about this is that when the thorn comes and there is the trouble and the problem and all of that and God, yes, I'm, I'm humbling myself before you. He says, awesome, now I'm going to put my power in the midst of your weakness and my power is going to come out and be shown in your life. It's not going to be your power. It's not your ability, but it is his power that works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Oh, look, I realize that most of us want to avoid the conflicts. <clears throat> we want to avoid the problems. We want to avoid the difficulties. And yet he says in the middle of all of that, you, you've got to know that there is something vital and more important that is with you, and that is grace. And he says, in all of that, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, this is, those were Jesus' words, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Oh, I got to tell you, this is so important. If you're going to boast, if you're going to be, pride, be prideful about your weaknesses, because it is that opportunity for the power of God to be shown in and through your life. You know that when you go through difficulty, it's not to be a shameful thing. It's not to be something that you should just put your head down and say, oh, I must be less spiritual than, you know, Candace is. I must be less spiritual than Brother Williams must be less spiritual than Bobby. I'm going through this, and yet they're not going through anything. No, no, no. This is an opportunity. First of all, you don't know what they're going through, by the way. Most of us don't know, truly know, deep down. And some of us, you don't need to reveal everything to everybody, by the way. That's between you and the Lord. But the bottom line is, is we go through some of those difficulties, and when we go through it, it is an opportunity for the power of God to rest upon us. It is an opportunity for God to show his faithfulness, to show his goodness, to show his grace, to show how he is able to bring you through and take care of you. His power will help you to overcome, and by overcoming, I'm not talking about getting rid of, of those things, but I'm talking about getting through those things so that you will be a testimony of his goodness and his power in your life. That is why, verse 10, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Huh. And Paul is not strong because of anything Paul did. Paul is not strong because of these revelations that he had. Paul isn't strong because in chapter 11, he, light, he highlights his credentials as, as a child of Abraham, as, as a descendant of Abraham, as somebody who came from that line, as a religious man, as anything like that. Paul is not saying, I'm strong because of those things. I am strong, he says, because I am weak. And because I am weak, he pours in the power in your life. I have here a bottle of water. It has a lot of water in it, and I can't wait to drink it after. 
but there's a little bit that is not full. It's mostly full. There's a little bit there. But if you empty it out, this is really essentially what weakness is. This bottle actually has by itself, especially with the cover on, I'm not going to take it off and squeeze it because we all know what will happen. This bottle has strength because of what's inside, not because of the wall on the outside. You empty it out, and God says, all right, I got it. you emptied it out, you're weak. I'm going to pour in more, pour in more. And that gives strength to the walls and the sides of this. And then put the cap on. The cap says, no, nothing else from the world is going to get in here. It's got to be all God. It's got to be everything of him, his power. And this is how you can, you can, I don't want to test this thing really. I'm not that strong anyway. But you know, you, the, the power of God, it's what's on the inside, you know. We, we've seen the illustrations from time to time of empty pizza boxes. Who wants empty pizza boxes? It's what's on the inside that really matters. It's what's on the inside inside that packs the punch. It's, it's what's there. It's not what you and I have to give. And Paul even says it earlier in this chapter when we read it. He says, it's not about the revelations. It's not about the visions and the things, quite frankly, I can't even tell you about. I've had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. God says, you're not permitted to tell. Some things you will not know until you reach glory. But he says, it's his power in me. Let me focus on my weakness so I can say, Lord, you fill me. You fill me. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Some of you may experience or have, you might be in the middle of a thorn in the flesh season in your life. And you've been praying, Lord, take this thing away from me. And all the while, God has a purpose in that that you may not be fully aware of. In this moment, maybe you've been made aware of it just now. Maybe you've been reminded about this and you realize, you know what? God may not take this away from me, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust in the Lord and let his power work in me. I want us to pray right now and say, Lord, I invite you into my life. Lord, I'm going to simply allow my weakness to be an opportunity for your power to be revealed. Heavenly Father, I thank you today, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And Lord Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come that, Lord, you would help us to live in a way that pleases you and honors you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not defend, Lord, the, 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 the things that we have been through and somehow try to, try to make excuses for it, but instead, Lord, may we boast in the fact that, Lord, we are weak, but in that weakness, you make us strong. You pour in your power in our lives. I ask, oh God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and you alone. Lord, I pray in this moment that we would understand that the thorn in the flesh is also a moment in our lives where we experience your grace as never before. So, Lord, I pray that though this thorn is painful, though it has come to torment seemingly, Lord, you have a greater purpose in store. Then, Lord, I pray that it would do the same for us as it did for Paul. It drove him to prayer. It drove him to trust in you. It drove him to have an experience in which you were to reveal that your grace is greater than anything that we are going through. So, God, help us to be reminded. Lord, help us to trust. Help us to believe in you and in you alone. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. 
I thank you for your grace today. And I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would rest on your people, that you would give them what they need as they leave this building today. I pray that as they face this week, that, Lord God, you would give them a special strength from heaven, knowing that it is your power that comes into their lives. God, I thank you today. And, Lord, we're going to give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. So good to see you in the house of the Lord today.